So this morning we had a large crowd in the, the hall here and I took the occasion to uh, offer some reflections on how the Buddha was encouraging us if we were interested in, in cultivating deep contentment then we would be wise to learn how to direct our thinking, to use our intelligence, not just to be busy to try and stop thinking, but really to learn how to think in skillful ways, or what the Buddha referred to as, as wise reflection or, or contemplation. And in particular, I was talking about reflecting on our good fortune, all the good fortune that we have. If we're not careful, the, the advertising and the social media and the news can trigger a whole lot of discontentment and we can think about how we always need more and we aren't somehow hard done by when in fact we're already really, really fortunate. And so aiming at reflecting on in ways that give rise to gratitude and that when there's gratitude, well then there's a sense of, of contentment. And So that was the theme this morning and this evening I'd like to continue with reflecting on that which conduces to contentment and particularly reflecting on these other two qualities of commitment and sacrifice. This being Vaisaka Puja Day and remembering the, the extraordinary effort that the Buddha made that precipitated his awakening. Uh, it's a, a useful theme for us to be reflecting on. If it wasn't for the Buddha's uh, extraordinary commitment and and his uh, sacrifice, then Siddhartha Gautama, as he was known then, would never have realized Buddhahood. It was a considerable sacrifice he made and on the everyday conventional level of leaving the comfort and convenience of a fairly privileged background and losing his good reputation and and then also losing his health, losing the physical comfort of that comes with that lifestyle and and, and then also the commitment that he made in terms of studying and practicing with this teacher and that teacher for, for so many years and and this pursuit of realization wasn't just a mediocre level of effort. It was an extraordinary level of effort. And when he gave his teaching, he didn't encourage us to go to the extremes that he went to. In fact, he, he spoke quite specifically about not going to the extremes that he went to. However, he did encourage or talk about commitment and and the, the Pali word for commitment is aditana and and the Pali word for sacrifice is nikama and aditana and nikama those of you that know the the list of the, the ten parami or the ten forces of transformation these aditana and nikama come fairly early on the list commitment and sacrifice and so he did teach about these qualities and talked about how important they were even though he wasn't, as I said, encouraging us to go to the extremes that he went to. And if we don't 
have commitment and we don't have sacrifice, then the reality is that we're actually not going to develop very far. And this is not what the world tells us. The, the story that the consumer culture that we live in tells us is that we've never got enough, that we always need more. And if this sinks deep within our consciousness, then we can condition perpetual discontentment, dissatisfaction, and that's really unfortunate. And I was reading a, a book or listening to an audiobook recently, a very sharp fellow was uh, talking about the results of his research in ways that I found were genuinely very helpful. And However, at the end of this book, in the last chapter, I think it was, he said that, uh, he said, oh, a lot of people are into meditation these days. He says, personally, I've got too many important things to do to sit around doing nothing for half an hour every day. Oh, how uninformed, I mean, how, how regrettably uninformed to, to assume that the discipline of attention is a waste of time. The story of the world is that we always need to be doing something to get somewhere. And that can just be an expression and also at the same time perpetrating discontentment. So the Buddha wanted us, really wanted us to know contentment and did give teachings that encourage that, including teachings on commitment and, and sacrifice. And likewise the great teachers. Our own teacher, Vinamajan Chah, and I've spoken about this before, you might have heard me, when I, he had been to visit the West and, and went back to Thailand. This is like in the 1970s. And, and when he saw the affluence here and, and witnessed how well the Sangha was being supported, and he was concerned, and when he went back to Thailand, he he, he mentioned this, to, that somebody was asking him about how things would be developing, with the Sangha develop in the West, and he expressed some reservations, and he said that, uh, he said, maybe the, maybe the Sangha, they're not going to go without anything, they're going to be spoiled, they're going to have so much affluence, and, and he had this expression, which means that if you don't go without... If there's no sacrifice, if you don't go without, there's no development. That's like an equation coming from his wise perspective. So this is a theme that would be sensible to invest in reflecting upon. Because that it really runs contrary to so much of what the world is all about. That you always need more and, and do what you want when you want. So... Sometimes when I reflect on this theme of, particularly the theme of sacrifice, and I like to imagine the process of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, and that chrysalis stage, the chrysalis stage of that process, and, and what that must be like for the caterpillar. And the caterpillar is used to just moving around, going here, going there, eating whatever yummy little green things it comes across. And, and it's in its nature to turn into a butterfly. However, before it can realize the state of, of butterflyhood, it has to go through this really pretty, probably pretty uncomfortable phase of being locked up in a chrysalis. And what must that be like? Kind of closed in and can't go anywhere, can't do anything. Well, of course, 
it's not a it's not a perfect image because as far as we know insects don't have a sense of self and, and don't think like we do and so it wasn't exercising real sacrifice. However, it does illustrate, at least in my mind, it illustrates that if we are inspired to go in the direction of realizing that which is possible, according to the Buddha's understanding, if we're inspired and inclined to do that, then it's almost certainly going to require the ability to feel like we're losing out and to see it in a positive way. Again, the worldly story is so much that I shouldn't have to go without anything. And this is a really unhelpful, really unhelpful assumption. Like just meditation, we were just sitting together for roughly half an hour and probably all of us to some degree had the feeling at some stage in that half an hour I'll be nice to move or to think about this or to imagine that. And, and yet we choose not to follow that. We choose to exercise commitment to the discipline of attention and sacrifice. We sacrifice, we willingly give up the relative freedom of being able to just do what we want, think what we want because we have faith in another possibility. We have confidence in this possibility that was shown us by the Buddha and the great teachers. So appreciating this is skillful. And it's not just something that we're able to or we need to do for a few days or a few weeks, but this is a, this is a lifetime cultivation. In the early stages of life, we, we grow up with a good enough level of awareness and common and garden variety awareness, which means we can get around and, and hopefully without getting too hurt or into too much trouble. However, that common and garden variety level of awareness is not enough if we are really interested in the quality of contentment that the Buddha was saying is there as a potential within awareness. Always feeling agitated, always feeling restless, always feeling discontented, always feeling like there's something lacking from the Buddha's perspective is not an obligation. That's a misperception. So if we want to correct our perception, if we're interested in the realization of true wisdom and true compassion, then it does require more effort. It requires commitment and, and, and sacrifice. And it's not difficult to acquire a relative wisdom, like approximations of wisdom, like my clever ideas and my opinions, things we can read in a book and we can speculate and proliferate mentally and have some really clever ideas. However, we <laughs> When we get tired, we, the brain's not working properly, we can forget our clever ideas. Or, or if we get upset, or if we, somebody insults us, or we, we experience a loss and a grieving. And if we're not truly wise, then we get pulled into the grief. We get lost in the grief and get lost in the sadness. Or, or if, again, as I saying, if somebody insults us, we get lost in the ill will and the aversion.
so much for our relative wisdom and that's where like my wisdom my opinions it's not that's not that's not that's not enough and likewise with compassion if it's still my compassionate feelings and I feel sympathy for these people and my compassionate approach to helping others if it's real true selfless compassion then when our compassionate motivations don't produce the results that we're looking for we're not going to fall into despair we're not going to suffer what some people suffer from compassion fatigue that's my compassion my feelings that's not the real thing so if we want the real thing if we're really interested in in true selfless wisdom and selfless compassion then it makes it requires more effort requires another approach and this is I'm suggesting that particularly the place for commitment and for sacrifice and wise skillful commitment and sacrifice not idealistic I've got to be committed and and I'm going to do what the Buddha did and sit under the Bodhi tree and and make this extreme effort and sometimes you do find people who are overly idealistic doing that and they they hurt themselves in the process they damage themselves and, or I'm I've got to be compassionate because the Buddha and all the great beings are so compassionate and so you give away all your property and, and then go out and help people. However, there isn't the wisdom to understand that we're attached to the idea of compassion and that's very different from what the Buddha and the teachers were talking about. So what is needed, what is really needed is an awareness upgrade, this common and garden variety awareness that we have as we're growing up is not adequate, it's not enough. We need an awareness upgrade and and that's what the Buddha did. And he said for some people they also have the potential to, to do likewise. However, it does require great effort. It's not something that's just going to come because of a an occasional we might sit meditation when we feel like it and Related to this is the the uh, beautiful ceremony that we had last weekend uh, in, uh, in the Dhamma Hall here when Francesco took the Anagarika precepts and uh, the the eight precepts of uh, training as an Anagarika and and made the commitment to undertake this upgrade of his precepts. I imagine that Francesco was living a, a decent sort of a life before he came here. However, in, in service of his aspirations to deepen his practice, he he wanted to take this upgrade of his precepts and and that means sacrificing some of his distractions, being able to do what he wants when he wants. And personally I find this those ceremonies, whether it's a householder committing to the five precepts or an anagarika, the eight precepts, or a samanera, the ten precepts, or a bhikkhu with the two hundred and twenty seven precepts, this conscious commitment to the precepts and, and then with the understanding of the commitment and the sacrifice involved I personally think that's going to make a difference yeah. and it's not all going to be easy but that, I find that, that very beautiful and, and also as um, Francesca will find out it's not just a matter of exercising 
precepts on the external level you know, with regards to giving up entertainment and eating in the evening. It's, it's also applying the principle of increased honesty on all levels, and uh, including inwards. And, uh, when precepts don't just require speaking honestly and refraining from speaking dishonestly, also inwardly, inwardly exercising increased honesty and, and with commitment, uh, with care. Something I personally discover as I get older is one of the one of the advantages it seems of getting older. There are some disadvantages of getting older, however there really are quite a few advantages. One of the advantages it seems that it's easier to be able to look back and acknowledge my limitations. And, and in acknowledging the limitations, it leads to increased contentment. What a relief. I, I got that wrong. What a relief. Uh, uh, to be able to look back and I think from my very early stage as a monk when I, to be honest, I think what I did was I replaced a fundamentalist attitude to one religion with a fundamentalist attitude towards another religion. I didn't even know I was doing it at the time. And it wasn't the religion's fault, it was my fundamentalist attitude. And, and what a relief to be able to acknowledge that. And similarly also, with sometimes I think back to some of the community members that I've lived with. I remember, I'd, I'd been a monk for seven years when Ajahn Sumato sent me down to start a new monastery in Devon. And... And uh, it was really difficult. This was, this was in the 80s, and I really didn't know what I was doing. And I think back, and I, I feel sorry for the monks and Anagarikas that had to live with me back then. And to be able to acknowledge uh, the limitations that, that I have, to, to recognize, oh, actually, I wasn't the best teacher for that person. But just to be honest about that feels good. It feels good to be honest. And, to feel also to acknowledge the the past pain of life, just not with not indulging in it and feeling sorry for yourself. I was I was thinking again, this is many years ago, I think it was probably around about nineteen seventy seven or something like that, and my knees seemed to have seized up probably with arthritis and anyway, one way or another the meniscus wasn't very good and so the doctor said, Well you need meniscus removed on on both knees, and and we'll just do that, and and probably take about two weeks. And <laughs> if I remember rightly, I I was in this open ward in a public hospital in Bangkok. I think it was for almost two months, six weeks, maybe eight weeks. What an ordeal! That was really very, very rarely did I get any visitors. I, my skill with the language was really minimal, and and that was really an ordeal. And and then. Afterwards, when eventually I could start to walk again after three lots of general anaesthetic because the scar tissue was so dense they had to rip it under general anaesthetic and, and that, of course, needed more healing. And, and after all of that, those weeks, I remember eventually walking out of the hospital and, and if my memory is correct, I, I was just standing outside the hospital and, and caught one of the public buses in Bangkok in those days. I don't know what it's like now, but monks could travel for free on buses and so just catching this bus and and going back to the monastery where hardly anybody knew me and and 
it wasn't even a monastery that was associated with Ajahn Chah's monastery, so I was a visiting monk there and didn't really fit in. And the, and the pain of, of loneliness, just the pain of, of feeling so alone and really, really difficult to endure. However, instead of just wallowing in it and feeling sorry for myself, just to be able to admit, yeah, that was painful. But what did the Buddha do? After all those austerities, all those years of training with this teacher and that teacher, and, and then he realized that they weren't going to give him the teachings he was looking for, and so went off on his own, and, and then his five companions left him, totally alone under the Bodhi tree. What he still had was his resolve for realization, for awakening. He had his commitment, and this sustained him in his efforts, and thankfully he arrived at realization. So this commitment to upgrading the precepts and increase honesty on all levels and giving some examples there of, of my own life of painful reflections but also being honest about the positive. You know, it's, it's curious how many Buddhists misunderstand the Four Noble Truths and think that the Buddha was saying that desire is the cause of suffering. The Buddha had desires. However, the Buddha understood desire for what it was. So it wasn't my desire. The cause of suffering, he said, is craving. That's desire plus something extra. What is it extra? It's clinging that spoils desire. Clinging to desire, making it my desire, creates craving. And that, the Buddha was pointing out, is the cause of suffering. However, sometimes we... Many Buddhists try to stop having desires and they don't even take responsibility for their desires and, and they're not benefiting from their wholesome desires. And so that's also, I find, as I get older, and a relief uh, to be able to simply admit that, for instance, like this little monastery we have here on Harnham Hill, I really care about it and that feels good to be able to acknowledge that. I really, I really want this monastery, this community to function well. And those who live here, those who visit here, whether it's for a day or for a week or for a month, and to benefit from being here. So also being honest about what matters to us. And so on this occasion of remembering the extraordinary example of commitment and sacrifice uh, that we witnessed in the life of the Buddha. And may we all renew and refresh our own aspirations. Sometimes just owning up to the fact that we really want, we really want to understand Dhamma, we really want to live in a way that benefits others can give us strength in our practice. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. And I, and I